0: Okay. Um, every every week, I try to think of a new way to thank everybody <laughs> for being here. Um, I don't have any novel ways of thanking you this morning, um, except just to say thank you. Um, I know it takes effort to get here, and. Um, Right effort is one of the spokes on the wheel of one of the paths, of, of branches of the eightfold path, and so you're all right on, right on the path, and making right effort to get here. So, thank you. Um, I want to start with a quotation from one of the sutras. Uh, Venerable Ananda, who by the way was um, one of the closest students and actually a servant of, servant not in the sense of being demeaned, but uh, joyfully serving the Buddha, very close uh, uh, student of the Buddha. Uh, Venerable Ananda went to the Blessed One, who we understand is the Buddha. And on arrival, having bowed down to the Blessed One, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship. Admirable companionship. Admirable camaraderie. Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades, he can be expected to develop and pursue the Noble Eightfold Path. So, just to repeat, Ananda suggested to the Buddha, oh, I discovered that spiritual friendship is half of the holy life. And the Buddha responded, no, you're wrong. It's the whole of the holy life. That's a pretty remarkable statement that spiritual friendship is everything. And another way of saying that is that sangha, being a member of a sangha of spiritual friends, is it. And so here we are We've announced our names, but for the most part, none of us really know that much about each other. <laughs> um, we simply come here to sit together, and that's pretty much what we do. That's, that's what binds us. Um, so it's a kind of interesting connection that we, we don't come for any particular... Uh, advantage. We don't come to make business connections or look for a husband or wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or we don't come for any personal benefit. Uh, most of us have a circle of friends that we socialize with and uh, go out to dinner with, but we pretty much don't do any of that together. We, we are on a different... We have a different kind of connection. And it really isn't important what our careers are, what our backgrounds are, um, what our sort of name rank and serial number. Uh, We we don't really need to know all those things about one another. Um, It's a kind of a, a very special relationship. And we sit pretty much independently of one another. And yet, there's an, a shared energy, a shared sense that we're all on the same path. That we are companions, and there is a deep bond that's established, even though we don't really talk to each other. That's usually the way we connect with people, you know. Yep, 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 and and that's a wonderful form of connection but we don't we don't necessarily have to do that and yet we can sense that we're all searchers on the path we're all moving together along a similar road buddha had more to say about spiritual friendship he claimed that there were particular marks of what he calls, there's a wonderful Pali name for a spiritual friend, and it's Kalyana Mita. It's a very beautiful sort of lilting uh, phrase, Kalyana Mita. And it means spiritual friend. And it's, it's, it's usually applied not only to members of a sangha, but to the relationship between a teacher and a student. That there is a there is spiritual friendship there. Not hierarchy, not someone in authority, uh, you know, relating to someone who is in less, in less of a position, but it's an egalitarian connection. So the teacher is just as much part of the Sangha and part of that spiritual friendship, that spiritual community, as anyone else. So the first mark of a spiritual friend, as Buddha says, he says, the spiritual friend gives what is hard to give. A spiritual friend gives what is hard to give. And what is hard to give? What is hard to give? I suspect that in some sense, each one of you, each one of us, has a different sense of what is hard to give, to give away. But I think in general, we can say that it's hard to give time, especially those of us and I suspect all of us are very busy I call it the curse of busyness our calendars are full there's not a blank space in any time and so it's hard to give time is a really valuable thing and especially Sundays when we just want to have fun Right, so coming here and giving your time to support the zendo, to support others' practice, and just to be here to support the Dharma, to practice the Dharma—that's hard. It's—it's it's even hard for me who lives down like down the road. I want to stay in bed this <laughs> morning. <sighs> like, okay, drag yourself. And of course once I'm up it's yeah this is yeah this is part of my practice to give what is hard to give. And what else is hard to give? It's very hard to give your attention. Because there is so there are so many demands on our attention from everywhere that to actually give 100% of your attention to something, to someone in the Sangha who's speaking, who needs help, who needs comfort, to give that attention when there are so many, you know, your dogs demand attention, uh, uh, your, your friends demand attention, your parents demand attention, your career, your work demands attention your laundry demands attention. <laughs> you know. So to come and offer your attention is or to to a friend, to somebody in the Sangha who says, I need to talk to you. I need to share this with you. Okay. I'm going to give you and also it's it's not the case that we can give a hundred percent of our attention. It's like okay, I'm giving you 50% of my attention and the another 50 is worrying about what I'm having for dinner tonight <laughs> or all the things that I'm not doing that I need to do. So our practice, it, it's even hard for me right now because I am actually thinking about the instructions I'm going to give for Oreoki and making sure that... <laughs> The applesauce is covered Mm -hmm. and not not molding, you know. So it's really, especially in this age of multitasking, it's really hard to give 100% of your attention. And of course, it's hard to give money. And most of us don't have a lot of it. So it's hard to part with that, even a few dollars to put in the Donna box. It's like, hmm, it's not, it's not um, required. We don't pass the hat. So it's like, well, if I can get away with it, why not? You know, it's hard to part with my money. I have much better things to do with it. And of course, we live in a capitalist culture. So you know you want to save and hoard everything. Give you an ex- i like this story, giving you an example of how hard it is to part, part with things, things and time and attention. Many years ago, I um, during my I was still practicing Zen. I went to a party, and I was wearing a new pair of Birkenstock clogs loved them that's when Birkenstock was you know big hippie thing and I was an aging hippie and so (laughs) I needed to stick with the Birkenstocks and uh, brand new and I saw an acquaintance not particularly a a close friend but she came over and she was wearing a pair of ratty Birkenstock sandals. And she looked at my clogs and she said, "Those are really cool. Um, where did you get them? And you know, can I try them on?" And I said, "Of course." And it happened that she was my size. And she walked around. I was wearing her ratty Birkenstock <laughs> sandals. We she, we changed. And she said, you know, I really like these. Um, They fit me perfectly. And in a moment of, I don't know, probably Zen craziness, I said, you can have them. (laughs) And she said, okay. (laughs) I couldn't believe my ears. She actually took them. (laughs) she wore them home and I never saw them again (laughs) and I thought to myself you know here I I offered something out of you know it's just being demonstrating my infinite generosity (laughs) like I'm not I'm not attached to anything no you know nothing belongs to anyone just take them and I discovered that I was really attached to those clogs and that I couldn't believe that anyone could actually take something that was brand new like that that I offered, but she had no problem in walking (laughs) home with them. And so it, it was a real, a deep lesson in the depth of attachment, even to something really. They were just a pair of shoes. They weren't like taking my job or you know, taking my boyfriend. Uh, they were just a pair of shoes, but nonetheless, they were new, my good shoes and beautiful shoes, and there they were. So it, it, I've had this kind of experience many, many times in my life where I've invested a lot of time and energy, that, I mean, not just in buying shoes, but in establishing, for example, a program at Penn State with a whole alternatives library and uh, course development. And they just, when I retired, mm. it was like the sea rolled over everything that I had worked for and it just never existed. <laughs> it's just completely disappeared. Um, so these kinds of experiences demonstrate to us certainly impermanence, And how attached we are. And so a a good spiritual friend is able to let go. To let go of, of attachments. So giving what is hard to give. Doing what is hard to do. And again, one of the most difficult things that a, a, a spiritual friend has to do is to endure misunderstandings, to endure being hurt. It's hard to do that. Somebody says something that you hurts you or does something that beats you feel betrays you, And a spiritual friend knows how to be okay with that or knows how to work through that. So does what is hard to do. Typically, it's hard to do when our egos are offended and it's hard to forgive. It's hard to accept. And so when we can accept the fact that There is a depth to our connection which will never go away and that we can trust in that spiritual friendship. Despite misunderstandings, despite miscommunication, despite things that seem hurtful, that's hard to do because when our egos are offended, we want revenge or we want apologies or we want some kind of retribution. It's just that we don't, we don't accept when our egos are offended. So a spiritual friend can endure that, can work through that. A spiritual friend keeps your secrets. Doesn't feel the urge to gossip about you to talk to other people about you, whether it be praise or blame. We say one of the precepts is no praise or blame. Just to respect your integrity, to respect your confidentiality, to respect your privacy, to to know that you have a life that needs to be... Um, regarded with, uh, the only word that comes to me is respect. Respect and care for your well-being. And lastly, when misfortune strikes, a spiritual friend does not abandon you. And I think that... that there is a form of abandonment which isn't literal. In other words, not just abandoning you by never talking to you or not engaging with you. If, if your spiritual friend sees that you are having trouble, that you're suffering, that you're going through a crisis, that friend doesn't pity you. That is a form of abandonment. Because in pitying, you separate yourself from the person. And that is very different from what we call compassion, which is feeling with that person, feeling with that person. Come with passion, with passion, with feeling. So abandonment is not just... Oh, I can't deal with I can't deal with that person. This is very hard. It's going back to what is hard to do and what is hard to give. It's hard to give your compassion, believe it or not. We think we're very compassionate, but we tend to separate. Oh, that's too bad. I, I, what do they say when somebody loses a um, a loved one? They say, uh, "I'm sorry for your loss." I mean, that's like a mantra almost. And when I hear that, I, I just feel that's a form of pity. That's mm-hmm. a form of separation. It's just, it not necessarily, I shouldn't say necessarily, but it can be automatic. It can be something that you, you just don't know what to say, so you say that. Mm-hmm. Instead of actually doing what is hard to do, which is entering that person's feeling state and trying to be with that and understand it and feel with it Mm -hmm. i used to tell my daughter as she was growing up i i said you know there are three words that are just as important as i love you and those words are can i help can i help so a spiritual friend is there for you, is there for you, no matter what. Here we are. um, We don't really know each other, but we know that we're here. And we practice being here for each other because we're not doing anything else but being here (laughs) for each other. And that is the nature of spiritual friendship. We have um, talked about introducing another form of practice into our being together on Sundays. And that form of practice is called Samu. It's work practice. And one of the ways in which you can practice being a spiritual friend is not only walking together, sitting together, eating together, but working together. And that's something that has been sort of not at the forefront of what we do together each Sunday and during full-day sittings, but Samu practice is really important. Not only because it, it helps to maintain the Zendo and our practice space and our practice equipment and our practice uh, meditation trail, but because it provides a transition between sitting on the cushion and actually working in the world. To be able to work, to do your job, to clean your house, to wash your dishes, to do your laundry, to rake your leaves, mindfully, as practice, is just as important, perhaps even more important than sitting on the cushion because this is like a five-finger exercise. It's we don't spend our lives doing this, except if we're monks or nuns or, you know, but even then, people in monasteries spend most of their time sleeping, cooking, cleaning, gardening, you know, doing the dishes, making food, very simple things that we all do. And one of the things that I hear a lot is that how do i take how do i take what i'm experiencing on the cushion how do i take that into the world it's always so nice just to be here and sit quietly and settle down but as soon as i get out there all hell breaks loose <laughs> right. so samu is a way of practicing being out there doing all the things you need to do. Some people call it menial work. But it's the basic work of our lives. And so we are going to and again this is this is not easy asking you to spend some time and probably taking time a little time away from tea and and talking. And actually, doing samu, doing work practice together, together, and sharing that experience together. Actually, if somebody ha- if somebody a- would ask me what, in a nutshell, what is Buddhist practice about, I would say service. because what does service involve it involves giving yourself away doing what is hard to do giving what is hard to give taking care of of what is beyond you what is for others for the earth for the animals For the community of life. So it's beginning to extend your sense of who you are beyond your little world of self. And that's what Samu requires. It requires for you to begin to move out of that narrow circle of, oh, this is me, this is my life. These are my Birkenstock clogs. Um, And these all these things belong to me. And this is what I devote my time to. And then beginning to extend the boundaries of that circle. Beyond your little world of self. More and more and more. To the sangha. Not only the human sangha but the natural sangha, the community of life that we sit with every day, and then perhaps beyond that to all beings. So when we say, I vow to save all beings, I like to think of, I vow to serve all beings. I vow to serve all beings. Push, push, push that perimeter. Push that perimeter. And as you do that, the ego, the small self, begins to wear away. Begins to wear away. And your liberation becomes more and more available to you. This is what we do in Sashin in longer retreats and in our day retreats, slowly the ego wears away. And by the time seven days are over, everybody's smelly and, and the men are all unshaven and their, you know, ugly beards are coming out. Not such a beautiful beard like that. <laughs> <laughs> And bags under your eyes, and you don't look very good. You don't smell very good. You don't move very well. And thus, you know, you can't present yourself as this great <laughs> meditator, this great liberated person. You're just, you're a beast. And your ego is, is pretty much worn away. So this is what our next stages of practice are going to involve. To begin serving, serving our Sangha, serving the Zendo, serving the earth, being good spiritual friends.